Hello, and welcome to Heart Failure Beat Healthy Living. I'm John Barnes, CEO of the Heart Failure Society of America, and I'm pleased to be hosting today's episode on heart failure and the coronavirus. Joining me today are patient advocate Rhonda Monroe from Washington, D.C., and Dr. Bethany Austin, Director of Heart Failure and Heart Failure Quality at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute and Associate Professor at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Medicine. Rhonda and Bethany, thank you for joining me today. Before we start, could you let us know a bit about yourself? Let's start with you, Rhonda. Thank you so much, John, for inviting me to share in this important podcast today. My name is Rhonda Monroe. I'm a native of Washington, D.C., I am happy to be joining you today. I'm a heart advocate, a heart patient as well. I've survived three heart attacks, two strokes, three open heart surgeries, five coronary artery dissections, congestive heart failure, and more. When that happened to me, I was initially misdiagnosed, and so I educated myself on heart disease, and I was persistent in seeking cutting-edge solutions for my illness. I refused to take no for an answer. In fact, I called a press conference from my hospital room. After that, I became a passionate advocate for heart disease and specifically for heart failure, as my ejection fraction was 21%. In my prior life, prior to becoming ill, I was an economist with the federal government, and I have a master's degree in business administration. And so these days, I use that preparation of my formal education with my passion for healthcare to advocate for myself and others. Great. Thank you, Rhonda. Bethany? Thanks, John. And I'm very happy to be here today as well. I think these uh, issues of heart disease and coronavirus are on a lot of people's minds, and I look forward to talking about it with Rhonda and her experience. I was drawn to heart failure from early in my time in residency for several reasons, but particularly because of the special relationship that heart failure doctors develop with their patients over time. As Rhonda said, she's been through a lot, and you really get a chance to know patients and their families and what they've been through. And we've had a lot of advances since I was training. And so we often get to see them not just when they're very sick, but then have the opportunity to see them feeling better after treatment. Great. Thank you. So we're here today to talk about COVID-19 and its impact on people living with heart failure. We'll get the patient perspective from Rhonda and the provider perspective from Bethany. Bethany, can you kick things off by sharing your experience? Absolutely. Uh, I think like many people, the last couple months have felt like a whirlwind of daily change in how we approach medical care and our patients. And I've really been amazed at how quickly the delivery of medical care has adapted to the current environment. Here at St. Luke's Mid-America Heart Institute, we were fortunate to have a little extra time to prepare just by virtue of our geographic location. And so we tried to take advantage of that to learn from our colleagues across the world and on the coast as to what to expect and what were effective strategies to protect our patients, our community, and ourselves. But every step of how we function had to be modified and done so quickly, which requires a lot of flexibility and collaboration across disciplines. And I do believe that that preparation helped us. We converted essentially all of our outpatient visits to virtual visits with video or telephone. 
to reduce exposures. Non-critical procedures and testing have been taken off the schedule to ensure the hospital has capacity and resources to treat increased numbers of COVID patients. And everyone in the hospital and the clinic wears personal protective equipment. Patients coming to the facility for appointments or necessary procedures are screened, not just for fever and symptoms, but given masks. And we are not allowing visitors into the inpatient side of the hospital. We've been very fortunate to have an incredible community here that embraced social distancing early and has supported us in our efforts. And I'm sure people feel this across the country, but it's been truly remarkable to see the community come together in this and hearing about the generous, thoughtful things that people, businesses and organizations are doing to help others struggling at this time has been amazing and I think keeps helps keep me going anyway when I'm discouraged. There are several things that make this situation harder for heart failure patients. First, they are at higher risk for developing a severe form of the infection if they do contract coronavirus, so they're understandably worried about it. They also can have variability at baseline of chronic symptoms like shortness of breath or fatigue that can relate to their underlying condition, heart failure, but also can be associated with coronavirus. So we're trying hard to make sure we have means of regular contact with our patients with these virtual visits done with telemedicine technology or just over the phone so that we can continue to check in with them without asking them to come to the hospital and clinic where they have more exposure risk for infection. But we do want to monitor for them for any deterioration in their cardiac condition that needs further evaluation. Heart failure patients, even without coronavirus, are at high risk for worsening. And in some situations, if we wait too long to try and reverse that, there can be significant consequences. So we know that patients are understandably worried about coming out to get testing, but we have tried to put into place good systems to get them seen and diagnosed in person if needed and done safely. And we do want to make sure they don't hesitate to let us know if they have concerns. Hundreds of thousands of people die from cardiovascular disease every year. And as a community, we're afraid those numbers are going to increase substantially if there are a lot of delays in care due to fear revolving around COVID. There's been a large increase in death rates in areas of Italy that were deemed non-COVID deaths. And while that may be due in part to undiagnosed COVID disease, it's also been speculated that it relates to cardiac events that did not come to medical attention. Cardiologists across the country have noted decreased rates of acute heart attacks, or at least people coming in with acute heart attacks compared to normal. And that makes us worry people are either ignoring those symptoms or just acknowledging them, but they're afraid to come to the hospital. New York City has noted a huge spike in deaths from cardiac arrest at home, which is worrisome for the same reasons. And as we learn more about coronavirus, it seems to be tied to increased blood clotting of various kinds. And of course, that is implicated often in heart attacks and strokes. So they may be tied together, but overall, very difficult to manage that balance. Thank you, Bethany. Rhonda, you want to talk about your experience uh, in seeking care during the coronavirus pandemic? Yes. I actually was diagnosed with coronavirus, but I had cold flu-like symptoms, and then they subsided for a week and then came back again with a high fever, and they subsided for about a week. 
And then uh, the third go round, I really got hit hard. I was exhausted. I had body aches. I've actually had the flu before, influenza A, I believe. And this was exponentially worse than the flu uh, symptoms I experienced. And so on that third go round, I thought to myself, this cannot be a normal cold and or flu and it won't go away. So I went to the emergency room. Um, and sought treatment. But again, this was early onset. This was beginning of March and the pandemic had not hit as hard as where we are right now. And so I was seen in the emergency room and diagnosed with bronchitis, actually. But at that time, I was given a Z-Pak, so azithromycin, and then prednisone and an inhaler and sent home. I came home. My symptoms did not initially subside. I continued with the high fever, the body aches. And probably after about four or five days, I began to get some relief, but not enough. So I went back to the ER uh, for a subsequent visit. And then I was diagnosed with pneumonia. Uh, in my lungs, but still had not been given a COVID-19 test. And, and and again, I believe the reason for that was that testing was just scarce at that point. But now we're into mid-March. And then 10 days, about 10 days, a week and a half after that, I actually had the COVID testing and tested positive for coronavirus. I'm not sure how familiar you are with the actual test itself, but you can probably speak to the the levels there were four, I'm going to say notches, if you will, or four different tests, four separate tests that were uh, resulted, and I tested positive for all of them. Um, And so I did, uh, to your point, I had the most severe form of COVID, and so As a heart failure patient, I'm going to say you're right on point that heart failure patients can get a a more severe form of the disease. The most frightening thing for me out of all of the symptoms were the way it impacted my heart because I began to uh, throw PVCs, premature ventricular contractions. So my heart beat began to be irregular and my heart actually I felt pain and um, somewhat of inflammation. And I had suffered from pericarditis before, and so I'd had a pericardial rub. And so I knew what the friction uh, felt like. And so I felt like my heart was getting enlarged. And so for me, uh, the high fever, yes, it was uh, uncomfortable, but eventually came down. The aches and pains are par for the course with the flu, although um, they're much more severe. But the way that the virus impacted and attacked my heart, the rhythm of my heart and the heart itself was probably the most frightening thing for me in in my entire experience. And then I did have some respiratory issues, but not to the degree of severity where I needed intubation. And as I began to progress and feel better, I actually got up and began to walk forced myself to have to breathe um, and try to strengthen my lungs. Um, And actually, I did find that quite helpful. It was a harrowing experience, to say the least. I am not one, because I'm 
an experienced or professional patient at this point, I don't run to the hospital um, unless it's absolutely necessary or to the doctor unless I absolutely feel there's uh, a problem that I can't deal with myself. And I sought treatment three times in a matter of four weeks. And so that just goes to say to the level of severity that the disease impacted me, that COVID impacted me. Rhonda, I'm so glad to know that you were proactive. And I I think it did help you uh, understand the diagnosis eventually to know what to expect and and be monitored um, in the way that you needed to. I'm curious because so many patients seem to be reluctant to tell us they're having symptoms, I think because they're afraid we're going to tell them they need to come to the hospital, that um, I'm I'm curious if you felt safe um, when you were getting evaluated, if you felt like appropriate precautions were being taken um, to prevent you from getting exposed in some other way. And and that's a very true statement. Let me back up and say that that is absolutely true. We as heart patients don't want to have to go into the hospital at all because we spent so much time there already. Um, But to that point, that's why I mentioned that I went three times to seek treatment. That, That was the level of severity of disease. And because I was so sick, I wasn't as worried about contracting it as I was of spreading it because by that time I thought I probably have this and I'm probably contaminating others. Yeah, I think you are giving perfect examples of Uh, why people should seek care, because we want to understand if the heart is being impacted in a way that needs um, intervention that can't be done at home to make sure that other people are being uh, not being exposed from someone who is positive that doesn't know that they have coronavirus. And the symptoms that you had were clearly different from what you registered as normal and related to your chronic condition. And I would say that's a really good guideline for patients with heart failure and when to contact their physicians and seek um, more input or attention is when symptoms seem clearly different um, than what, what they think of as their, their normal Absolutely. I'm going to jump in right there and say, um, because I kept throwing PVCs and feeling erratic heartbeats, and that is not my normal. I had experienced that uh, back in the beginning of my journey, but my medications had been titrated up to a level where I was stable and had not had those type of issues in years. And so for that, the onset of that, again, made me realize something is not normal here. I think it's great that you persisted in coming back um, when things did not improve. And I think some of what you experienced, as you said, was related to not having testing available, which was a huge issue, you know, on the early end of this where we really didn't want people coming in because, number one, we didn't want to expose them or anyone else, but also we didn't have really a good way to test them to tell them if they even had it. So I do think that that evolved over the time that you were sick and you you saw that happen. 
I did see that happen because I initially uh, sought treatment on March 10th, um, was subsequently tested on March 23rd, but had intermediate visits to the hospital, another ER visit to the hospital, and then a doctor's office visit. Now, what I'd like to mention about my symptoms at this point is that a week into it, so on the 10th, I had the high fever, and then I was given the ZPAC and the prednisone and the um, albuterol inhaler. A week later, I was still having symptoms. I made a doctor's appointment. And at that point, there was a shift in my symptoms and I began to um, get nauseous. And I, I, sitting in the doctor's office, experienced projectile vomiting and then some other flu-like symptoms, including diarrhea. The fever came back, but at a low-grade fever. And the doctor's office actually called an ambulance called 911 and had me taken back to the hospital. And so midstream, the symptoms were no less severe, but shifted um, in the way they attacked my body. That's very interesting. And and I think we are starting to see this delay in different symptom patterns, you know, at sometimes more than a week after people start to have symptoms of coronavirus, particularly when they have the more severe form of the disease. And I think, you know, for the most part, now that we have testing, if you don't have the types of symptoms that are unstable that need to take you to the emergency room, contacting your physician's office is the best first step because they can often direct you to uh, a way to get a test or be seen or say, no, gosh, you really do need to come to the emergency room. Absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly. And then I did have the lack of taste and the lack of smell with the onset of it, high fever. And that duration was actually about four weeks, about three and a half weeks before I could actually taste or smell anything. Wow. Well, you've learned a lot over the years with all of this things that you've gone through, do you feel like you learned additional lessons from this that um, that you want to share or advice for other heart failure patients? Well, my, always my first and foremost advice is you are an expert on you. You know your body. So for all other patients who are out there who may be doubting or, or questioning If it is outside of your norm, I would say seek medical attention. And again, to your point, Bethany, because of the times we're living in, you may not just want to run to the ER, but call your physician as a first step and share your symptoms with them and express your concerns and and let them advise you as to how you should proceed. I think those are all really good points. And you seem to have experienced a wide spectrum of the the symptoms and expression of coronavirus. I'm glad that the respiratory was not as bad. And it is really remarkable how variable it seems to be in different people. And we're still learning so much about it and particularly how to treat uh, the more severe parts of the more severe expressions of the disease. So I think by 
you know, the next few months with all of these trials and investigations ongoing, we'll have a lot better idea how to treat people moving forward. Thank you for joining us today, Bethany and Rhonda. Please listen to the great advice you've heard on today's podcast. To find more resources related to heart failure and coronavirus, visit the Heart Failure Society of America Coronavirus Resources Center at hfsa.org slash coronavirus. You can also follow HFSA on Twitter. We hope that everyone is staying healthy and safe. For Heart Failure Beat, Healthy Living, I'm John Barnes. Thanks for listening.